All right. Well, it's great to welcome all of you to our online campus today. I hope you're doing well and you're excited about spending some time together in God's Word. This is the fourth and final weekend of our message series called Faith and Family. We began by spending two weeks talking about marriage. And then last week, our high school pastor, Matt Pineda, kicked off two weeks of talking about parenting. Now, I want you to know that I thought Matt did a great job as he used the book of Proverbs to talk about five different threats to parenting. And the first one was simply that parents don't know how to parent. And honestly, I thought that was really insightful because no matter how prepared you might be for parenting from an emotional standpoint because you love children and you've always wanted to have children, or how prepared you might be from an academic standpoint because you've read everything you could get your hands on when it comes to raising children, here's an immutable truth. Parenting will always be, at least to some degree, one of those learn-as-you-go activities. And that's especially true if you grew up in a dysfunctional home where you didn't have good models of parenting in front of you. But the thing that stood out to me the most from Matt's message last week was when he asked this question early on, what is your goal in parenting? One of the great chapters in the New Testament is Hebrews chapter 11, which is all about faith. In fact, The chapter begins with the definition of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then it goes on to give us example after example of faith in the lives of some of the most famous people in the Bible, as well as some lesser known and even unnamed people in the Bible. At one point, we begin to read about Moses. And his part of Hebrews 11 actually begins with a reference to his parents, I want you to listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, what that means on the most practical level is that Moses' parents had the faith. Remember, Hebrews 11 is all about faith. Moses' parents had the faith to believe that God had a specific purpose for Moses' life. And honestly, friends, that's the way all parents should feel about their children. All parents should believe that God has a purpose for their children's lives. Now, granted, they probably won't grow up to be used by God in dramatic ways like He used Moses, but that doesn't diminish the reality that God has a purpose for their lives. I remember when both of my children were born. Andrew was born in December of 1984, and Tricia was born in May of 1988. We lived in Houston at the time. And I can remember right after they were born, and I held both of them in my arms, my hands, for the very first time. And while I had a tremendous amount of emotions running through my heart and my mind, I can remember thinking with each one of them, this child does not belong to me because we are stewards of our children, just like we're stewards of everything that God entrusts to us. Psalm 127 and verse 3, the very first part of verse 3 says, children are a gift from the Lord. And while they are in, their, while they are in our care, rather, we need to raise them in a way that not only honors God, but that also opens the door to whatever path God has for their lives. And here's the deal. 
That's not going to happen by accident. We've got to be intentional in our parenting. We've got to use wisdom in our parenting, which means as parents, we need to pursue wisdom. Look at these words that are going to come up on the screen from Proverbs 24 and verse 3. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Now, that's the way it reads in the NIV Bible, the New International Version Bible that I always preach from. I actually like the way this reads in what's called the New Century Version of the Bible. In the NCV Bible, it reads like this, it takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. I love the practical way that verse is communicated in that modern English translation. And so, Here's my goal for you as we spend some time together in God's Word today. My goal is to simply give you some biblical wisdom related to parenting. And I want to pause before I go any further and say that I know this seems like one of those messages that's not for everyone because not everyone is a parent, not everyone who is listening to me today is a parent. But one thing I've learned over the years is that God's Word speaks to our hearts regardless of the context. And I really believe in my heart that if you listen and if you focus for the next several minutes on what I share from God's Word, then it's going to speak to your heart in some specific way. I really believe that, and so I hope you'll stay focused. As I was researching this message, it seemed to me like over the past several years, there have been three basic parenting styles that we have to choose from. The first one is what we'll just simply call the authoritarian style. And this is one that a lot of us who are older will recognize. This is the my way or the highway approach to parenting. This is the do it and shut up about it approach to parenting. Or some of you like me can remember this vividly from your childhood. This is the I want you to go out in the backyard and find me a switch approach to parenting. And the basic goal of the authoritarian style or or the authoritarian approach to parenting is to eliminate bad behavior, to eliminate wrong behavior. It wasn't really focused on building a certain kind of behavior, just eliminating bad behavior. The second common style of parenting over the last several years is what we'll call the permissive style or the permissive approach. And this is the everyone gets a trophy approach. This is the, if we just smother them with enough love, with enough positive reinforcement and affirmation, everything will be okay approach. In this approach to parenting, we don't really focus on the misbehavior of our children because the misbehavior of our children becomes cute. When they disobey or they do something they know is wrong, it's, isn't that cute? Isn't he cute? Isn't she cute? Or we make excuses for their bad behavior or their misbehavior. Oh, he's just tired or she's just tired. And so really, at the end of the day, the basic goal of the permissive style or the permissive approach to parenting was I'm going to tolerate the behavior and hope in the end that the affirmation and the love will win out. Well, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but this permissive approach or this permissive style of parenting really hasn't worked out over the years. It hasn't turned out too well, but honestly, I I don't want to make a lot of enemies today, so I'm just going to stop right there with that. And then the third approach, or the third style, 
and this is really the one that I want us to focus on in our time together today, is just the biblical approach or the biblical style of parenting. And here's the big difference between the biblical style or the biblical approach of parenting and the authoritarian style and the permissive style. Biblical parenting focuses on the heart of the child. Biblical parenting trains the heart of the child. It has the goal of impressing biblical truth and biblical values on the hearts of the child, on the hearts of our children. And the litmus test at the end of the day of whether or not it's worked is seen when our children are in a position to make their own choices and their own decisions. And so the question before us, the really critical question before us, is how do we embrace the biblical approach or the biblical style of parenting? Well, I want to keep it really, really simple today as we think about this. And so I'm going to focus just on one verse, and that's Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. I'll put it up on the screen and we can look at it together. That verse says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, if you serve in our children's ministry here, you know this is a big part of our children's ministry. We find that verse on the wall down in Bibleopolis. We talk about the theme of growing up like Jesus did in our children's ministry because this is what we focus on, the fact that Jesus grew in his life in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's the only verse that we have in the Bible that talks to us about those years, those growing up years of Jesus' life. And so I want to focus on it for a little while today. Because if we dissect that verse, then this is what we learn about parenting from Jesus' life. Or, or, or rather, maybe I should say it like this. This is what we can learn about the goals of parenting from Jesus' life. The first thing that that verse tells us is that Jesus grew in wisdom. Now, that doesn't just mean that Jesus went to school, uh, he went to Hebrew school and got knowledge, because the Bible teaches us that wisdom is much more than knowledge. Uh, Let me give you an example. If we want our children to grow in wisdom, the first thing we need to do is to teach them to fear God. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And the fear that we're talking about there when the Bible says the fear of the Lord is not the idea of being afraid of God. It's the idea of having a healthy and a reverent respect for God. It's an understanding that God is the creator and the sustainer of all things, including our lives. This is something, this belief, this reality, this fear of God is something that is missing in many of our children today, and it's sorely missing in our culture today. I'm glad that I can stand here today and know because of my salvation that I'm a friend of God, that I have that kind of relationship with God, a personal relationship with God where I can say, I'm a friend of God. I'm glad that I have this personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But I can never forget, we can never forget this biblical truth about God, and that is that He is an all-consuming fire. It's one thing to see Him as our friend, but it's also another thing to understand the Bible says God is an all-consuming fire, and that's what it says about God in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24. And here's what that means. 
It means that because God is first and foremost a holy God, He consumes or He literally burns up anything that is unholy. That's why all of us, on our own, based solely on our own merit, based solely on what we have to offer, are separated from God because all of us are sinners. We don't have that fundamental holiness in our lives because we have sin in our lives. Isaiah 33 and verse 14 asks this question, who of us can dwell in the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell in a relationship with God? On our own, none of us, because we're not holy, because we have sin in our lives. Now, I want my children and my grandchildren to know about the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that we sing about here in church. But first and foremost, I want them to know that He is a consuming fire because that makes the love that God has for us and the length that God has gone to to have a relationship with us even more amazing. And so our goal as parents should be to teach this reality of what it means to fear God to our children because the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says, is the fear of God. The beginning of wisdom is found in a holy, reverent, worshipful respect for God. Psalm 34 and verse 11 says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, that's a Bible verse that every parent, especially parents of young children, should have written down somewhere in their home. That's a verse that we should reference for ourselves, for our own motivation over and over again. This is critical. We need to understand this reality of the fear of God a holy, reverent, worshipful respect for God. Now, I'm going to just pause here and make a personal confession to you for a moment. I honestly was convicted. In fact, I was deeply convicted as I wrote this point into my message because as I wrote it into my message, I began to think about all the different ways in my own personal life as an adult that I have lost sight of the reality of this all-consuming holiness of God. And I thought about how casual I've become and how careless I've become and how sometimes how coarse I've become with my words and my thoughts and my responses, uh, all of which often don't reflect an understanding or respect for the holiness of God. And I had to pause right in the middle of writing this message and ask God for forgiveness and His help in doing better. This is a part of, this is a critical part of helping our children to grow in wisdom, helping them to understand what it means to fear God from a biblical perspective. Another way to grow in wisdom, and this won't surprise you, is to simply embrace the Bible as the book of life. Or maybe I should say it like this, to teach our children to embrace the Bible as the book of their lives. That's something that parents need to help their children with. They need to make sure that the Bible, on some level, is a part of the daily lives of their children. But if you're a parent, honestly, before you can do that for your children, you've got to make sure that the Bible is a part of your life on a daily basis. You've got to make sure that before you can help them understand that the Bible needs to be the book for their lives, you need to make sure that the Bible is the book for your life. This is critical for our children's future. But listen to me, it's even more than that. I believe it's critical for the world. I ran across these statistics this past week related to the different generations 
and the Bible. And I'm not someone who uses statistics a lot because sometimes statistics can be manipulated to make the point whether it's true or not. But this was interesting to me, and it's hard to nail down the exact dates for each generation that I'm going to talk about because, honestly, there are a lot of different versions. But we'll start with what's called the builder's generation. The builder's generation encompasses people who were born between the years of 1927 and 1945, roughly, 1927 and 1945. And statistics show that of those folks born between those years, 65% of them are Bible-based believers. Or in other words, 65% of all builders, people in the builder's generation, believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And then you move forward to the boomer generation or the boomers, the baby boomers. That's the generation that I'm a part of. Those are people that were born between the years of 1946 and 1964. I was born in 1958. I'm right there in the middle. And of the boomers, the baby boomers, only 35% are Bible-based believers. 35% believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Well, you keep moving forward, and the next generation you come to is what's called the Buster's Generation. Those are people that were born sometime between 1965 and 1983. And of the Buster's Generation, only 16% are Bible-based believers. And then you get to the millennial generation. The millennial generation are people who are born between the year of 1984 and 1996. Both of my children are millennials. And the statistics that I was looking at showed that only 4% of millennials are Bible-based believers. Now, here's one of the most interesting things about those statistics. During the time that we're living right now, it's the baby boomers who are in leadership roles for the most part in our country. Now, that's, there are, obviously, there are a lot of exceptions to that, but for the most part, it's boomers who are in critical leadership positions. I'm a baby boomer. I'm the spiritual leader of this church. And listen, as we look around the world today, as we look around our country today, and we see the condition of the world, and we see the condition of our country with boomers in leadership roles, People that statistics say only 35% are Bible-based believers, what's the world and the country going to look like when millennials are in leadership roles? And before you think a single thing, I want you to listen to what I'm going to say next. That is in no way, shape, or form a criticism of millennials because I have no criticism for millennials. What that is is a sad commentary on how we have failed to prioritize the importance of the Word of God, the Bible, in the lives of our children over the years. I mean, if if the leaders of our country and the leaders of our world are people who on a very limited level have a belief in the Bible as the reality of God's world, or, or word rather, then what's the world that we're living in going to look like? We need to teach our children to embrace the Bible as the rule and the guide for their lives. This should be a critical goal for Christian parents. Last week in his message, uh, Matt Pineda mentioned this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that's called the Shema. It's, I've got a couple of verses to look at from that passage. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 that says this. this. These are words that parents need to take to heart. These commandments, the Word of God, that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then it goes on to say, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, 
What the Bible is telling us is to keep God's word at the forefront of our lives and at the forefront of our children's lives in every single thing that we do. And if we do that as parents, then we're going to be actively involved in guarding the minds and guarding the hearts of our children, which is so critically important. Well, there are more things I could say about what it means to grow in wisdom, but I need to move on. The second thing that Luke 2.52 tells us about Jesus, the second parenting truth that we can learn from Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 related to Jesus is that not only did he grow in wisdom, but number two, he grew in stature. Now, honestly, I'm not going to say a whole lot about this, but I am going to tell you right up front that I'm going to take a little bit of liberty with the application of this part of the text, this reality that Jesus grew in stature. And I'm acknowledging that, so I don't need you to send me any emails to talk about the importance of context when you study the Bible. Certainly, this means that Jesus did the things that he needed to do to grow physically and to be healthy and be strong. But I don't think it's a stretch to say that it also means that he grew in terms of his life. And when I say that, I'm talking about the truth that he grew in terms of the stature of his life, and he grew in terms of the purpose of his life. Our children need to embrace God's purpose for their lives. And I want you to listen to me really close. Our children's purpose in life from God's perspective is not grounded in what they get. It's grounded in what they give. Let me ask you this question. As you read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what was the message that Jesus tried to teach the disciples over and over and over again? I'll use Mark chapter nine and verse 35 as the answer. In that verse, this is what we read. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And you find that same message or at least some version of it all throughout the gospel. The specific wording might be different in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the message is there that our lives are not grounded in what we get. They're grounded or they need to be grounded in what we give. And so one of the most important goals of parenting is to teach our children that the world does not exist for them and the world does not revolve around them. There's more value in what they give than what they get. There's more value in how they serve than in how they are served. And if you're a parent, you need to know, and I believe this as strongly as I believe anything about parenting You need to believe something that we talked about a little bit earlier. God has a call on your child's life. God has a call on your children's lives. And one of the greatest things you can do for them is to help them discover that call. That is more important than any other pursuit of their lives. And you're the one, mom, dad, you're the one who needs to teach that to them. I'd like to talk more about this, but there's something else I want to tell you before we move on from this point. Along with helping children discover their purpose in life, if you're a parent, you need to make it a priority to pray a blessing on and over your children's lives. And you need to do that constantly. There's lots of ways to do that. Let me just tell you one way I did that for my two children. You know my kids, they're here at church. Andrew is 35 and Trisha is 31. One of the ways that I was routinely involved in praying a blessing on and over their lives is this. I found a specific psalm that I would read and pray over their lives. I read through the psalms. I was very specific and very 
intentional about what I was looking for. I think I've told you this before. For Andrew, it was Psalm 112, and for Tricia, it was Psalm 37. Not every verse of each of those psalms. I went through, in fact, if you had my Bible, you could look at those passages and you could see that I highlighted specific verses in Psalm 112 and in Psalm 37. And I would read that and I would pray those words over their lives. I'm not going to read that or I'm not going to read them to you today because I don't really have the time and quite honestly, I don't have any tissues with me today and I don't want to do that. But that's one significant way that I prayed for God's blessing on their lives. My encouragement to you is to do something similar or to find what works for you and to make that a priority today, to, to, to begin today. And if you struggle at the start to figure out how to do that, then let me just give you a verse that you can use as a starter verse. We'll put it up on the screen for you to see. It's Psalm 5 and verse 12 that says this, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Who wouldn't want those words to be true for their children? That they experienced the blessing of God in their lives because they were right with God and that God routinely surrounded them with his favor as with a shield. We need to make sure that we pray a blessing over our children's lives as they grow and they discover God's purpose for their lives. Here's the third thing we learn about parenting from Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 from Jesus' life. Not only did he grow in wisdom, not only did he grow in stature, but the verse also tells us that he grew in favor with man. Now, obviously, I'm flipping the order here at the end because that's not the order that it is in the text. It says he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. But I want to save talking about what it looks like to grow in favor with God to the very end. And I'm not going to talk about this a lot, so let's just keep it really simple. There are some really clear verses in the Bible that teach us what we need to know in order to be able to live in favor with man. How about these words, for example, by from or rather the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. He writes and says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. How about these words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? This is Matthew 7 and verse 12. So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And we're familiar with that because that is the foundation of what we often call the golden rule. Here's the bottom line, the simple truth. Personal relationships really aren't too complicated when you follow biblical principles of honor and respect and humility and service and on and on. And don't you think as you look around the reality of our culture and you look around the reality of what's happening in our world right now, don't you think that these are the things that are desperately needed in our world? These behavioral values of showing honor and respect and humility and service in our relationships with other people. And so teaching these things should be one of the most important goals for every parent. And then finally, the fourth thing that we learn about parenting from Jesus' life and that one single verse that described this big portion of his life as he was growing up is favor with God. And he, Jesus grew, Luke said, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He grew in favor with God. And obviously, this is going to look a little bit different uh, as we talk about that or as we talk about it in relation to our own children 
than when we think about it in relation to Jesus, who literally was God in human flesh. But what I want you to know is that there is simply, and I, I, I'm sure this is something that you already understand, at least most of you, there is simply no greater goal that you can have as a parent than the goal of making sure that your children are living in favor with God. And let me be absolutely clear about what that means. It means that we pray for and we help our children to come to a place in their lives where they realize that on their own, that they're not living in a right relationship with God because they, like all of us, are sinners. And sin separates us from God. Sin separates all of us from God. Sin separates. That's the reality of what it does. And it's not just that. But it's also the truth that there's nothing that they can do about that separation on their own. There's no amount of good. There's no amount of good works they can do to overcome or cancel out the sin that separates them from God. But the good news of the Bible, what we call the good news of the gospel, is that because God loves us so much that he was willing to deal with our sin and our separation by sending his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sin so that our sin could be forgiven. And our sin can be forgiven. The sin of our children can be forgiven, not based on anything we do or anything they could ever do, but based on what Jesus did for us on the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, in the easy-to-read version of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says it like this, Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in Christ we could be right with God. And so, friends, we need to teach our children that when they put their faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished on the cross, they can experience the forgiveness of sin and a right relationship with God. They need to know the Bible teaches us that our faith is shown to be real through genuine repentance, a desire or a willingness to turn away from sin and turn to God, bold confession, a willingness to say out loud what it is that we believe in our heart, and baptism, which is the God-commanded, God-ordained expression of our faith. And that's how we experience favor with God, through faith in Jesus who he is, and what he accomplished on the cross. Now, what can parents do to help their children the most with this most important step? Well, what parents can do is they can make sure that Jesus is the Lord of their life. If you're a parent and you want this to be the reality for your children's life, that Jesus is the Lord of their life, then you make sure that Jesus is the Lord of your life. And while both parents play a critical role in this, men, I'm just going to talk to you for a moment and say it's time to step up and be the spiritual leader of your family and your home. No excuses. The Bible makes it clear that this is God's desire, his will, his plan for you as a husband and fathers and wives. Let him do this. I've talked to a lot of Christian women over the years who say that they, are, they desperately want their husbands to be the spiritual leaders in their homes until they start. And then it's a little bit of a different story. Let him be that leader. Will he be perfect at it? Probably not. But let him be that leader. Here's the bottom line. If you want your children to make Jesus the Lord of their lives, then you need to put Jesus first in your home, first in your family, first above everything else, first above every other thing, every single thing. I know there are lots of things that are vying for first place when it comes to our time and when it comes to our activities and when it comes to our priorities, but you simply need to decide to put Jesus first in everything. Put Jesus first 
with everything it means to be committed to him. You know, when my kids were small, we had a simple rule in our family. And that simple rule was you could only be involved in one outside or extracurricular activity at a time. And that was primarily because church, which is where so much of my children's spiritual lives were formed, that came before anything else. They were going to go to school. They were going to go to church. And that left time for only one activity. But that one activity, no matter what it was, never kept them from going to church. Now, I can just imagine at this point some of the thoughts that you might be having. You might be thinking, you know, Pastor, that was 20 or 25 years ago. We got way more options available to us today. We can watch church online any day of the week. We can be involved in digital discipleship and on and on and on. But friends, when I read my Bible, it's clear that God's expectation is that we put him first in our lives. We put him first in our families and coming together with other believers for a time of worship, which is something the Bible instructs us to do, coming together, gathering together for a time of worship, which is something the Bible instructs us to do, shouldn't just be a part of the many other things that we've got going on in our lives. It should be a priority. And listen, when everything's a priority in your life, nothing's a priority in your life. You've got to establish genuine priorities. I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to belabor this point because I don't want to come across as legalistic because that's not my heart. I don't want to sound argumentative because that's not my heart. I'm just telling you, if you want your children to make Jesus the Lord of their lives, then you make sure he's the Lord of your life in every way. And don't just talk about it. Demonstrate it in worship. Demonstrate it in love for God. Demonstrate it in love for others. Demonstrate it in service. Demonstrate it in generosity and stewardship and on and on and on. Your children need to see your faith. Look at these words from Proverbs 14 and verse 26. What a powerful verse this is. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children, it will be a refuge. In other words, your faith, your genuine, sincere faith, will be a place of refuge and security for your children. Don't take that lightly. Well, there's lots of other things that we could talk about, but I'm out of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, Paul writes, and I know this was in the context of of just believers in the church, but I think that there's a principle or a truism that can be applied to the relationship between parents and their children. He writes in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's my NIV Bible, my New International Version Bible. The New Living Translation makes it even more simple. He says, it it says it like this, and you should imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that really should be our approach as Christian parents. Let me give you one final word before I close in prayer. I know how difficult it is to be a parent. And I genuinely believe that it's more difficult today than it was even 30 years ago or 35 years ago when my children came into the world and when they were small. And so here's what all of us as parents need to do. We need every single day to trust in the grace of and the mercy of God. 
I know that I made a lot of mistakes as a dad. In fact, I probably made more mistakes than I did things right. But I always tried to be honest with my children. And I always relied on the grace of God because I knew that the grace of God was greater than my sin. The grace of God was greater than my failure. The grace of God was greater than my shortcomings as a dad. And I feel just as much of a responsibility to my children today as I did when they were born and when they were young because you never ever stop being a parent. And I can tell you with integrity that today I rejoice when they rejoice and I weep when they weep. And I pray for them every single day and sometimes I plead with God for the needs and the burdens and the challenges of their lives. That's what being a parent is all about. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. No such thing as a perfect father. No such thing as a perfect mother. But that's okay because we serve a gracious and a merciful and a loving and a perfect God. And we need to hang on to that. There's great joy, great joy in being a parent. But there's great responsibility as well. And that's why it needs to be one of the highest priorities of our spiritual lives. And so I want to close today by praying for you as a parent. I want you to bow with me. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to spend some time with so many folks today through this online campus. And right now I'm just praying for all the parents that are listening to me, all those who will be parents, all the grandparents. And I pray, Father, that you would give them the strength and the resolve and the courage they need to parent in a biblical way, to do what they need to do to help their children grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man, in particular, in favor with you. And I pray, Father, that you would help them every single day to rely on and trust in your love and your grace and your mercy and to not get too discouraged in those moments when they fail and they stumble because we all do, but they would just trust in you even more. And I pray, Father, I pray in the name of Christ that you would help all of us to raise strong, saved, spiritually and biblically grounded believers in our homes who know that you have a purpose and a calling on their life. I pray for those who feel like they failed in this area. One of the things that I've discovered over the years as a pastor is that There are circumstances and times when you can do all the right things and your children still sometimes don't make a choice to follow Jesus or can choose to walk away from their faith. And I pray that you would just give parents who find themselves in that situation with that burden just the courage and the resolve to keep praying, to keep loving, to keep reaching out, to keep trusting you. Father, we just need you so desperately. 
when it comes to everything we've talked about the last four weeks, our marriages and our parenting. Help us to trust in you and help us to make sure that we begin by looking at our own lives as husbands and wives, as mothers and fathers, and making sure that our, hope, our hearts are completely sold out and devoted to you. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.